Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and today we are going to begin our study of the fifth article of the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. Or as the Latin has it, descendit ad inferos, tertia die, resurrexit a mortuis. And so, as the Catechism always does when it begins an article, it has a little paragraph with a subtitle, The Importance of this Article. So we read, To know the glory of the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ, of which we last treated, is highly important. But of still higher importance is it to the faithful to know the splendid triumphs which he obtained by having subdued the devil and despoiled the abodes of hell. Of these triumphs and also of his resurrection we are now about to speak. Although the latter presents to us a subject which might with propriety be treated under a separate and distinct head, Yet following the examples of the Holy Fathers, we have deemed it fitting to unite it with his descent into hell. And so the first major subheading, the first part of this article, he, des he descended into hell. In the first part of this article, then, we profess that immediately after the death of Christ, his soul descended into hell and dwelt there as long as his body remained in the tomb and also that the one person of Christ was at the same time in hell and in the sepulchre. Nor should this excite surprise, for as we have already frequently said, although his soul was separated from his body, his divinity was never parted from either his soul or his body. And then the Catechism continues with a discussion of hell. As the pastor, by explaining the meaning of the word hell in this place, may throw considerable light on the exposition of this article, it is to be observed that by the word hell is not here meant the sepulchre, as some have not less impiously than ignorantly imagined. For in the preceding article we learn that Christ the Lord was buried, and there was no reason why the apostles, in delivering an article of faith, should repeat the same thing in other and more obscure terms. Hell, then, here signifies those secret abodes in which are det detained the souls that have not obtained the happiness of heaven. In this sense, the word is frequently used in Scripture. Thus the Apostle says, At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those that are in heaven, on earth, and in hell. And in the Acts of the Apostles, St. Peter says that Christ the Lord is again risen, having loosed the sorrows of hell. And then the Catechism continues with a subheading, Different Abodes Called Hell. These abodes are not all of the same nature, for among them is that most loathsome and dark prison in which the souls of the damned are tormented with the unclean spirits in eternal and inextinguishable fire. This place is called Gehenna, the bottomless pit, and is hell, strictly so called. Among them is also the fire of purgatory in which the souls of just men are cleansed by a temporary punishment in order to be admitted into their eternal country into which nothing defiled entereth. The truth of this doctrine founded as holy councils declare on scripture and confirmed by apostolic tradition, demands exposition from the pastor 
all the more diligent and frequent because we live in times when men endure not sound doctrine. Lastly, the third kind of abode is that into which the souls of the just before the coming of Christ the Lord were received, and where, without experiencing any sort of pain, but supported by the blessed hope of redemption, they enjoyed peaceful repose to liberate these holy souls who in the bosom of Abraham were expecting the Savior, Christ the Lord, descended into hell. And so we quickly make the comment here that uh, the Catechism of the Council of Trent divides hell into three abodes. The first abode is the abode of the damned, which is called Gehenna. Uh, the second abode appears to be the abode uh, where the souls of just men are cleansed by a temporary punishment, which we call purgatory. And then finally, the third abode is that into which the souls of the just before the coming of Christ the Lord were received. And so um, um, one can't help but to remember uh, that Dante in his Inferno appears to have uh, hell divided in, in a similar manner. But let's continue with our uh, reading here. The next part is a subheading uh, entitled, He Descended. We are not to imagine that his power and virtue only and not also his soul, descended into hell. But we are firmly to believe that his soul itself really and substantially descended thither, according to this conclusive testimony of David, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. And that's from Psalm 15, verse 10. But although Christ descended into hell, his supreme power was in no degree lessened nor was the splendor of his sanctity obscured by any blemish. His descent served rather to prove that whatever had been foretold of his sanctity was true, and that as he had previously demonstrated by so many miracles, he was truly the Son of God. This we shall easily understand by comparing the causes of the descent of Christ with those of other men. They descended as captives, he as free and victorious among the dead, to subdue those demons by whom, in consequence of guilt, they were held in captivity. Furthermore, all others descended either to endure the most acute torments, or if exempt from other pain, to be deprived of the vision of God, and to be tortured by the delay of the glory and happiness for which they yearned. Christ the Lord descended, on the contrary, not to suffer, but to liberate the holy and the just from their painful captivity and to impart to them the fruit of his passion. His supreme dignity and power therefore suffered no diminution by his descent into hell. The next section, why he descended into hell. And the first reason is to liberate the just. Having explained these things, the pastor should next proceed to teach that Christ the Lord descended into hell in order that, having despoiled the demons, he might liberate from prison those holy fathers and the other just souls, and might bring them into heaven with himself. This he accomplished in an admirable and most glorious manner. For his august presence at once shed a celestial luster upon the captives, and filled them with inconceivable joy and delight. He also imparted to them that supreme happiness which consists in the vision of God, 
thus verifying his promise to the thief on the cross, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. This deliverance of the just was long before predicted by O.C. in these words, O death, I will be thy death. O hell, I will be thy bite. And also by the prophet Zachary, Thou also by the blood of thy testament hast sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. And lastly, the same is expressed by the apostle in these words, Despoiling the principalities and powers, he hath exposed them confidently in open show, triumphing over them in himself. But the better to understand the efficacy of this mystery, we should frequently call to mind that not only the just who were born after the coming of our Lord, but also those who preceded him from the days of Adam, or who shall be born until the end of time, obtain their salvation through the benefit of his passion. Wherefore, before his death and resurrection, heaven was closed against every child of Adam. The souls of the just on their departure from this life were either born to the bosom of Abraham, or, as is still the case, with those who have something to be washed away or satisfied for, were purified in the fire of purgatory. And the second reason is to proclaim his power. Another reason why Christ the Lord descended into hell is that there, there, as well as in heaven and on earth, he might proclaim his power and authority, and that every knee should bow of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And here, who is not filled with admiration and astonishment when he contemplates the infinite love of God for man? Not satisfied with having undergone for our sake a most cruel death, he penetrates the inmost recesses of the earth to transport into bliss the souls whom he so dearly loved and whose liberation from thence he had achieved. And so that's the section of the Catechism that devotes itself to this first part of Article 5, He Descended into Hell. At this point, I thought it would be useful to look again at the third part of the Summa, which seems to be very prevalently, prevalently um, cited in this uh, catechism, in this part. Um, so this, this has been a wonderful reading because not only do we uh, get to read the Apostles' Creed and the, the wonderful citations from Scripture, but we're also able to sort of do a little tour of the Tertia Pars of the Summa Theologica, which is devoted to Christ. And uh, so if we go to, if we go to um, question 52 in the third part, we find the entire question uh, concerned with Christ's descent into hell. And, and in that question 52, there are eight articles. And um, I thought we would just quickly take a quick look at the first two articles. Uh, the first article is entitled, Whether It Was Fitting for Christ to descend into hell. And the second article is whether Christ went down into the hell of the lost. And so let's just take a brief look at this. And as we, as we read this, we'll see how highly influenced the um, authors of the Catechism were by St. Thomas's words here. So in this first article in question 52, whether it was fitting for Christ to descend into hell, St. Thomas says, uh, in the reply, he says, I answer that it was fitting for Christ 
to descend into hell, first of all, because he came to bear our penalty in order to free us from penalty, according to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our infirmities and carried our sorrows. But through sin, man had incurred not only the death of the body, but also descent into hell. Consequently, since it was fitting for Christ to die in order to deliver us from death, so it was fitting for him to descend into hell in order to deliver us also from going down into hell. Hence it is written uh, in O.C., O death, I will be thy death, O hell, I will be thy bite. Secondly, because it was fitting when the devil was overthrown by the passion that Christ should deliver the captives detained in hell, according to Zachary, Thou also, by the blood of thy testament, hast sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit. And it is written in St. Paul to the Colossians, Despoiling the principalities and powers, he hath exposed them confidently. Thirdly, that as he showed forth his power on earth by living and dying, so also he might manifest it in hell by visiting it and enlightening it. Accordingly, it is written in Psalm 23, verse 7, Lift up your gates, O ye princes, which the gloss thus interprets, that is, ye princes of hell, take away your power, whereby hitherto you held men fast in hell. And so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, not only of them that were, are in heaven, but likewise of them that are in hell, as is said, in St. Paul to Philemon. Uh, there's one other interesting um, reply to it, the second objection where St. Thomas says, Christ's passion was a kind of universal cause of men's salvation, both of the living and of the dead. But a general cause is applied to particular effects by means of something special. Hence, as the power of the passion is applied to the living through the sacraments, which make us like unto Christ's passion, so likewise it is applied to the dead through his descent into hell, on which account it is written that he sent forth prisoners out of the pit in the blood of his testament, that is by the power of his passion. And so there in that article we see three reasons why it's fitting for Christ to descend into hell. And as we said, we should also take a quick look at the second article in this question 52, whether Christ went down into the hell of the lost. And here St. Thomas makes an interesting distinction about how a thing is said to be in a place. He says, I answer that a thing is said to be in a place in two ways. First of all, through its effect. And in this way, Christ descended into each of the hells, but in different manner. For going down into the hell of the lost, he wrought this effect, that by descending thither he put them to shame for their unbelief and wickedness. But to them who were detained in purgatory, he gave hope of attaining to glory. While upon the Holy Fathers detained in hell solely on account of original sin, he shed the light of glory everlasting. And so in that very first paragraph of the second article, 
we can see that St. Thomas also divides hell into these three parts, the hell of the lost, the hell which we call purgatory, which, um, which we, um, sometimes we don't think of that as hell, but uh, again, um, authors like Dante uh, put it on the very outside. <laughs> and um, so it's a, it's a place where souls do not see God, um, but yet they still have hope. And so um, it can be uh, classified as part of hell. And then finally, this other part of hell, the outermost ring, I believe, where the souls of the just who only have the stain of original sin on them um, um, is, the, is the other part of hell. Uh, so in that first paragraph, St. Thomas talks about how Christ was there in all three parts of the hell in, in through effect. Um, but in the second paragraph, he says, in another way, a thing is said to be in a place through its essence. And in this way, Christ's soul descended only into that part of hell wherein the just were detained, so that he visited them in place according to his soul, whom he visited interiorly by grace according to his Godhead. Accordingly, while remaining in one part of hell, he wrought this effect in a measure in every part of hell, just as while suffering in one part of the earth, he delivered the whole world by his passion. And so that's an interesting um, article wherein St. Thomas uh, says that uh, his descent into hell was only to the uh, hell of the just, um, but not into the other two uh, places of torment. Although um, purgatory, um, I would have thought that he would have descended there as well, but according to this, it doesn't look like he was there, but was rather there in effect. And um, so I think one of the scriptures that supports that is, um, I can't find it here, but it's something about how can, how can anything, how can darkness in any way have to do with light? And so in some sense, um, it appears that uh, Christ only descended into the hell of the just the so-called hell of the just. And so this is, again, another mysterious article. Um, uh, but nonetheless, the Catechism sheds light on this whole idea, this whole the truth of our faith, this fifth article that Christ descended into hell. And uh, he's descended there to liberate the just and to proclaim his power. And... and um, He's the universal cause of salvation for all men, not just the living and those, um, but also those who have died before he uh, came and before his passion, um, likewise of all of those who will be. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and please join me next time as we start to study the next part of Article 5. Thank you.